You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome back to Intellectual Erection with your host Patrick. This is the second part of the interview with Andrea Werhun. And the look I got in return from this man? It looked like he wanted to murder me. And it was a look that suggested that he might try. We're going to be getting into the latter half of discussing the, uh, you know, criminal underbelly of slut work, sex workers, prostitution, all that lovely stuff. Uh, And then we get into some of the book with Andrea. So keep your ears, is it peeled? Do people peel their ears? Keep your ears peeled and have a listen. Also, catch uh, Andrea in the latest issue of Playboy magazine. Read her article in there along with some other feminist sex workers and sex positive folks. It's quite enjoyable. You'll find it on her Insta. There's several links, Modern Whore on Facebook, and also follow Intellectual Erection on Instagram at intellectual underscore erection, on Facebook, intellectual erection, supplement the O with a zero. They don't like erection on Facebook, so I have to do that. And also keep your eyes peeled, not just your ears, uh, for that project panties that you might have seen going around on the Instagram. More information coming soon. And as always, like, listen, review, and most of all, Enjoy. Well, a question I guess would be, would you want the state to um, implement policies? And if so, what kind of policies would be helpful for sex workers? So the sex worker rights movement advocates for decriminalization. Mm -hmm. Uh, Contrary to popular belief, we do not want legalization. That's not what sex workers are calling for. Legalization means of a, a regulation framework imposed by the state, mm-hmm. whereas we feel like we we operate pretty well on our own. Mm-hmm. We would just like it to no longer be a crime to do what we do because we're not hurting anybody. Decriminalization would mean that uh, sex work is no longer a crime mm-hmm. um, and that the laws against rape, theft, murder, assault, these things exist for a reason i mean human trafficking is still a crime you know it's it's a crime to kidnap people and uh transport them which is what human trafficking is um so yeah i mean that's what we call for we call for decriminalization so that what we do is no longer a crime and we do not want the state running our business Mm -hmm. um yeah well, I think it's interesting that the law as it stands deliberately makes it more dangerous for sex workers to operate um, and then blames us for choosing sex work or being sex workers. It's like a very like, like you're a victim, but you're also, you know, I mean, as sex workers, we're victims. We're all victims. First of right. all, we've all been forced into it. And right. secondly, because we do it, we're we're still culpable. We're still vulnerable to to 
uh, state violence. Right. So you're forced into it. It's not your choice, but because you're into it, it's your choice to be into it. So therefore, it's your fault. Exactly. Therefore, we can put you in jail or we can take away your children or we can um, out you completely. And in your case, you it was entirely your choice. You said, I want to do this. Yes, it was it was certainly my choice. But I will say that um, now that I've I have diversified my experience in the sex industry, you know, having not just worked as an escort and now working as a stripper, like I do recognize that there are certain systemic um, failures that allow people like pimps to mm-hmm. proliferate. Yeah. Um, and they do exist. Um, they don't call themselves pimps. They call themselves managers. Oh, or, another neoliberal term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they call themselves boyfriends. Um, and it's true. It's just, yeah. it's like there are girls that I work with that have men that control their money. Yeah, yeah. Because they're doing it for protection. For protection and, yeah. and for all those things. And there's so many different reasons why people end up in the industry. Mm-hmm. End up, you know, is yeah. even stigmatized in and of itself. But... Um, I acknowledge that it's not necessarily a choice. Sometimes it is a last resort mm-hmm. uh, for a system that's failed people, right? Like you're saying, in a society that's that um, puts the onus of responsibility on the individual um, right. while taking away social services and, and a, a social yeah. welfare net, um, people have to do things for money that they don't want to do. And I feel that at the club sometimes. I feel that there is a pressure sometimes because there is, we get pressure to do more for money um, that we may or may not want to do. And I have come into that. I've like, I've been in that where I'm like, I have not made much money this week or this month. And I'm like, I need to pay my rent and I don't have enough in savings right now to like hold me down. And this guy's asking me to do something I don't want to do, but he's the only guy I've been talking to for the last hour, and I want to go home. So I've got warning signs here, (laughs) but I got to do what I got to do so that I can survive. And that's on like, uh, you know, I say that as someone who has a lot of privilege Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be okay, you know. Like stripping is not the only game I play. I am a writer yeah. and I'm gunning for all these other opportunities and stripping is the way that I make my money. And there are a lot of girls I work with where this is this is what they do. So my level of privilege is is imbued in the way that I can talk about this. But at the same time, I understand what it's like to feel pressured to do something you don't want to do for money because you don't feel like you might yeah. be supported otherwise. And you that is a that way. is a total systemic failure mm-hmm. of neoliberalism. Yeah, and I mean that's that's exactly what I what I got from it. And especially the line, you know, like if you're doing something that you don't want to do for money, you're also a whore. You're a whore to the system. You're you know, you're in that master slave power relation to the to the state. You still have to produce. You have to be productive, and you have to participate in the economic uh, machinery right so if you don't enjoy it then you know you have that same sort of stigma you just get away with it because maybe other people don't stigmatize you for it exactly like there's plenty of jobs that i can think of that involve this sort of 
selling out mm-hmm. concept of of being a whore yeah. for money. Yeah. You know, I, for instance, one of my other interests is acting and performing. And one of the major barriers that I felt within myself in pursuing that on a more full-time basis was this idea that, like, if I ever wanted to be in something big, I will have needed to have been in commercials. You need to have been in commercials to get into these bigger rooms. Right. And... To me, that idea is abhorrent on a personal level. As someone who, like, the first time I got published was in Adbusters when I was was 17. Like, I was, like, voraciously promoting Buy Nothing Day. Like, I have a pretty strong, like, anti-consumerist foundation. Not that I, like, abide by that every single day. But I, I do have a very strong resistance to this idea of whoring myself out for a corporation and right. making myself the face of of something i don't believe in and to me that's the ultimate sellout that's the ultimate whore yeah. in the way that we use that word and that i get naked for money and dry hump people mm-hmm. for twenty dollars a song to me you know that for other people is is a form of whoring and degradation and a lack of dignity that they would never want to participate in but I feel like so much more of a person and that it makes me feel like that is exactly what I want to be doing that's the thing that makes me happy that's not selling out you know well, like, I'm hearing that it's like I'd rather be my whore than like somebody else's whore exactly. like the, the corporate whore I will sell myself over mm-hmm. selling anything else yeah, yeah and that's that's what being a writer's about that's what being yeah. like an artist is about is fundamentally I will I stand by the product that I produce whether it's my body or it's my work I will sell that your performativity exactly I will not I will not be in a commercial for McDonald's I would rather kill myself I mean what do corporations like to to do to to get you enthusiastic about selling their products so like you got to sell it like you believe in it that's part of their 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 training strategy right like you have to sell it like you really care and believe in this product and you're like, well, there is one product that I really care and believe in. And if I sell that as like the, you know, one of the alternatives in the neoliberal system, then at least I'll, I'll do the one that doesn't make me feel like, you know, d- degraded to, to somebody else's ends. And it's funny that that's what makes sex workers outlaws. Yeah. It's what makes us rebels. It's what makes us like the pirates of the modern age. You right. Know? Because we're like, fuck your system. Mm like when I go to work you know a lot of us are there we may not 100% love our jobs but we'd rather be there making money than making money in other ways because we represent ourselves and we keep all the money that we make I mean at at least in the sense that like we're not paying the house more than 20 or 40 dollars to work if we're freelancing yeah we keep everything that we make. Yeah, and so the, the majority of profit goes to you. It's not like you're, you're working as part of some corporation who profits off of your labor and you get the trickle-down effect exactly. of some, some wage per hour. Yeah. yeah. No, so this, this all makes complete sense to me. And it also makes sense to me that you're asking for uh, the state to provide protection for sex workers and not necessarily to get involved in standardizing it um, because it would be mutually beneficial. You'd have less crime on the street, right? Uh, less sex workers getting assaulted, uh, raped, uh, or sometimes even killed, right? And um, less human trafficking. So that is absolutely beneficial to the state. And and one way of dealing with these uh, gray areas when it comes to to what's 
you know, socially acceptable versus what's uh, considered criminal is decriminalization, like they've done with drugs in in Portugal, for example. Yeah. It, it's like it's a one kind of step uh, that you know meets a little bit halfway between between worlds. Right. So it's not a, a complete pass into like everything's legal and available at the corner store uh, under standardized laws. But at the same time, it's not like this crim- uh, criminal underbelly where people are getting harmed and your society as a whole then suffers because you have this seedy underbelly that that traffics uh, money underground. Right. Whew. Heavy. Intellectual erection. Right. That's what we're here for. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, one of my favorite uh, stories was actually at the beginning, uh, Precipice, mm-hmm. right? Where you talk about getting into the into the life, and I really like that story with the uh, with the the John that you had. Um, it was it was nice, and that first sort of breaking the the fourth wall, as you describe it, because it got me thinking about the way that you identified. So you picked this name uh, for yourself and Marianne yeah Marianne from Marigold Mm -hmm. and you pick an identity for yourself and you try to endorse commodify and sell this identity and then at some point uh, you talk about Marianne being exposed as you Mm -hmm. so now there's no longer this detachment between yourself and the whore self and it kind of becomes embodied like I guess it's just me and Marianne falls off a cliff and dies and now you're the embodied whore. Right. Uh, I found that to be really interesting. Was there that feeling like you were trying to protect yourself by having an identity and then it just kind of collapsed into, into, this, into yourself? I think I'm, I'm an honest person by nature. Mm-hmm. And by honest, I mean, I think everyone can be honest, but I, I, do, I feel more comfortable being open and I'd rather not lie. Yeah. I'd rather just be myself. And that's part of what I like about sex work is that in a way I feel like I'm paid to be myself because I am just generally like a happy-go-lucky person. Um, but I was concerned about self-preservation at the very beginning, jumping into it without any resources whatsoever and not knowing how much I should tell people, how worried I should be about stalkers, you know, um, what dangers there would be in, in revealing myself. And so, yeah, I, I did like tell people an alternate version of my life, which I thought was fun. I thought it was like a cool way to practice improv, you know, play a character. And, um, you know, so I told people that I was not from, or I was from Toronto. I can't even remember what the lie was, but I was a traveling painter just passing through. Traveling painter. How sexy. I know. Right. I recently discovered that um, Gordon Lightfoot has a song called Traveling Painter. Aww. And I, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm almost scared to listen to it. <laughs> what if it's so real? I know, what if it's too real? <laughs> but, you know, I wanted some. I wanted to be a traveling painter. One, because I'm like sort of like uh, um, transient, but also an artist. Um, and I read a lot of books on the go. Uh, and no, I've never been to university. Yeah, know, but like, but somehow you have some like inclinations. Yeah. Yeah, you're just this rogue. Yeah, just this rogue. I've got some tarot cards, like <laughs> just some yeah, traveling Amazing. vagabond. Um, but it didn't. Yeah, it, honestly, that that persona, that attempt at persona building, didn't last very long because I was finding myself just like wanting to be open about being in university and wanting to be open about wanting to be a writer, and um, I found that. 
the more comfortable I was in sharing those details, the more comfortable the client became. And then we just like had genuine connections. Yeah, it's a sense of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely resonate with that. Like I've tried to put uh, to protect myself in situations by adopting, you know, lies and identities, but it just doesn't feel good. Like it, it feels like I can't be authentic. I can't be in the moment. And then there's this constant like backlog of consciousness, uh, protecting, protecting. Is, is the lie good enough? You know. So I I'm with you on that. Like open book. I'd rather be an open book and people judge me for who I am than mistake me for who I'm not. Right. So sometimes yeah, you do try to protect yourself, but then the lie collapses. Yeah, and I, I guess like at this point I, I've become so familiar with the lie and that I I would rather live openly. Fundamentally I'm working towards building a more open society. I want to live in a world where people can talk about their escorting experiences or their sex work experience, you know, they can put it on their resume, you know, like I I want to live in that open of a world. But in order to do that, like you know, these, these tiny little steps have to be taken and, and the people like me who are able to, because people have very legitimate reasons yeah. to protect themselves um, and very real risks that they're looking to avoid in uh, protecting their identities um, and very serious implications that come from being outed. Right, right. Right. Like, and that's to be respected. You know, one cannot tell another to stop lying and tell everyone you're a whore. It's just it doesn't work that way. No, it's true because a lot of the circumstances are out of uh, people's direct control. If somebody finds out about you, they could harm you. Absolutely. Right? So a lot of people live in that world, and I would definitely rather live in your world. Get me citizenship to that world. That's where, <laughs> no, that's where I want to live. I want to live in this open world where people are allowed to exercise you know their their bodies their their sexuality openly whether it's you know sex work or any of the sex positive communities mm-hmm. and this is what this podcast is meant to do as well is uh, at least for the listeners who aren't part of the communities just to to hear it out hear it out from within the community it's not just this like seedy dark satanistic ritual sometimes it is yeah right <laughs> but no like you know it's humans it's humans doing the the things that you probably want to do and that you exercise sometimes in the bedroom and things that you masturbate to online and it's not this you know dark sinful shameful place yeah. filled with guilt at least not for for everyone for some for some of us it is and this is part of that conversation to alleviate some of that because the state's not protecting us the education system is is going the other way yeah uh at the moment right so like it's there's got to be efforts at the ground grassroots level happening in these sorts of conversations between humans right right to to just destigmatize all of this uh all this stuff so moving (laughs) moving right along you and i get deep uh pretty quick here uh and this is this is what I mean. Like the book is fun. The book is fun. It's it's lighthearted, but it's also heavy. There's also uh, instances of you know you talking about sexual assault and and breach of consent in some of the stories. And you know, one of my other favorite stories is the the tyrant one mm. near the end. Like I get very punchy feelings in that <laughs> that story because I've seen I've seen these men. I've seen these lurkers. It's specifically a story about you know getting picked up on the street, walking around being this like visible object of you know, sexual attraction and, and you know, somebody not having the, the fucking decency to just leave you alone and not harass you 
as you're just trying to go about your day. Right. So the archetype of the sheep shifting cat collar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, like it, it's it's amazing to me. Like one summer I was walking down the street and I was like, wow, men literally think they own the street, mm-hmm. and that women are just sort of like these walking ornaments that they can comment on as if we, we don't exist, as if we don't hear them. Like, what amount of power do you have to have? Like, that sense of entitlement to be able to comment on people as they walk by you. Because you know you're not doing it really to like, get laid. You're doing it to exert your power. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. doing it... To show that you... yeah, To exactly. show who's boss. Right, right. And, like, I've had moments where I've touched entitlement like that where you just feel like you're you're fucking king of everything yeah and it's it can be a very violent space i think like power fundamentally corrupts yeah in a lot of ways agreed and (laughs) yeah i i so i i got a lot of um catharsis out of writing that story about about a a shapeshifter who depending on who his target is you know transforms himself to be as yeah. as most annoying as possible and as um exploitative as possible to his mark you yeah know, whether she's like a 12 year old girl because i remember getting catcalled at 11 12 years old on my way to school and i remember realizing i was getting catcalled called more as a child than, than as, as a teenager I went to a Catholic school, so I was walking home with like a kilt, and I still wasn't getting <laughs> yeah. catcalled as much as I did in grade seven. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a little scary. It is scary. Jeez. Well, I mean, I really love that story, um, and like I said, it got me a little angry, and I could picture this person, and I've seen this person, this archetype. It's an archetype hanging on the street corner, just waiting for somebody to pass by. They walk alongside, make the comment, keep walking, keep talking. The person's uncomfortable, not making eye contact, but this this hound is just there, just sniffing out and mm-hmm. waiting for weaknesses to drop out that they can exploit and, and kind of hang off of. And sometimes, nowadays, there'll be the, the follow-up with the cell phone, and they're trying to get the number and yeah. all that. And any rejection is is usually met with a, a form of assault, like calling somebody a bitch or a cunt or like right. ugly or like demeaning them because they they couldn't, you know, the sour grapes. Yeah. Fox couldn't reach the grapes, so they must be sour. Right. Yeah. The classic tale. Yeah, and it's it plays into the way women have been conditioned to be afraid of rejecting men and making men feel bad because then that's the reaction that they get. And it makes us feel so unsafe and so uncomfortable that we're, we're forced to confront these situations <laughs> and make these really difficult calls with men when they don't understand no means no. Uh, and it's public, too. It, like, it, like, it's such a fundamentally stressful situation being accosted in the street, and it's humiliating, but it requires... Um, Of course, the responsibility is on these men to stop doing it. But then, you know, what do women do in the moment? What can we do in the moment? And, you know, whether it's no, whether it's like not being afraid to make a scene and uh, being totally solid in, in the, uh, the fact that you're not inconveniencing anybody by humiliating this man for what he's tried to do to you. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've had all sorts of different like techniques that I've tried to develop over the years in response to cat collars like I spent a summer mimicking cat collars and so if a guy like walked by me and he was like oh yeah 
then I would be like, oh, yeah, right back to him. Oh, my. And sometimes they, they'd be like, oh, oh, she's cool. Okay, cool. And then other times, <laughs> oh, she's cool. yeah, they'd be like, oh, right on. She's game. Cool. Yeah, she's yeah. like on the level. And then other times they would be very uncomfortable by yeah. it. And, and then I feel like I accomplished my mission. Is I, mean, right. I did the same thing right back to them, and I know they don't appreciate it. But I could do it in a sort of playful way. Like, you're going to fuck with me? I'm going to fuck with you, bud. <laughs> but It came to an end that summer when I was walking down College Street around like one in the morning by myself. Um, and there was a guy who's with a few friends who's leaning with his arms crossed against a, a bank. And uh, I walked by and he went, so I looked him in the eye as I was walking by and I went and the look I got in return from this man it looked like he wanted to murder me and it was a look that suggested that he might try oh, fuck. and it, I was so scared in that moment that I I started to run I like ran home because I was so afraid of this guy following me and chasing me down an alley and killing me because I confronted him for making a stupid little sound like that. Uh, so it's like, this shit's life or death. <laughs> yeah, fucked. well, that's, that's the underlying threat, right? Yeah. That's the underlying threat is like exercising that power, uh, signaling that power to, to women because you're a man. Uh, you know, it's also signals with it not just a, a hypothetical power, but a real one, and one that's been exercised in, in society and over time, right? With forced marriages, with uh, spousal abuse, with sexual assault, with rape, right? Because you have, uh, you know, let's say the ability to, to overpower somebody, right? Taunting somebody with that in a, in a weird circumstance like that it's just it's it's really fucking shitty it is and i mean i i don't know what it's like to to be in that body to be in the in the situation where i don't feel safe walking around at night and i mean that on a regular basis of course i've felt threatened and i've had people try to beat me up as a kid and i've had situations but it wasn't ongoing it's not something that pops up in my head when I'm walking home alone at night even if I do see other men which there's potential violence between you know men and other men but it's usually instigated by something right I mean the funny enough the only story that I have that's similar is I was walking with a friend on uh, Spadina and right by Grossman's Tavern there seems to be a fucking spot there that people just like yeah. get weird so I'm walking by there and there's this woman and she comes up and she was high on something you could see in her behaviors, the way she was talking, like the rapid talking, not really paying attention to what you're saying, asking too many questions. She just started to follow along and she just kept talking and asking questions and being like flirty, but in an aggressive and like really ugly way. And we just like, we're trying to ignore it and not pay attention to her, but she kept on going. She was like that guy, right? And we're like, how the fuck do we get rid of this person? So at the lights, I just like signaled them like, let's fucking run. And we just bolted across the street when the light turned green. And she actually ran after us for a bit, but we lost her. And I mean, our story is one of laughter. We ran away from this person, right? And, it, and it's, it's funny to us because the, the real danger wasn't felt. 
sure, she could potentially harm us in some way, but we didn't feel that, right? It's not right. typical. It's not part of the history of men to get assaulted by, by uh, women on the street. So it's like it's this laughable story. Whereas in your case, you're telling this story from a very different angle, right? Like you, it is life and death at the end of the day. Right. Something could have happened to you that night. Right. And that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes sometimes putting yourself in somebody else's shoes to even acknowledge that possibility, even though you, you can't necessarily see it from that perspective. You can at least appreciate what that's like. I, watch, I watched a, uh, a movie, I forget what it was called, about this uh, woman going on a journey by herself, just traveling the States alone. The film is called Wild. It's from 2014 with Reese Witherspoon. And most of her encounters with men were portrayed in the film as this like, you know, dangerous situation. You'd hear the music change and you'd see them like making comments and like sexually suggestive, even if she was like hitchhiking or getting a ride or something. And that was the first instance I remember watching this movie. I'm like, holy fuck. I've seen movies, so many movies with men traveling cross country. No problem. They have all these relations. They fuck, they do drugs, they do whatever. This woman just, just traveling is this you know, potentially dangerous experience. And it wasn't overplayed in the film. Right. It was just just enough. And I'm like, oh, there's that. Right. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely an interesting insight. Another story that I wanted to talk about. So, uh, so this book has, first of all, it's got personal stories. It's got a guidebook on how to become a prostitute. Some stats that are very interesting. The majority of Johns are married men, for example. <laughs> Coming out to family, which was like something that, uh, you know, was very interesting to, to see from your perspective. And, you know, the instances of sexual assault. You're, there was a, an instance somewhere in the beginning about you being very young and some boys harassing you and then you kind of being a little bit blamed for that situation and put in that position. And then there's the reviews <laughs> section, which is actually one of the things that you read at Oasis. Right. Uh, and one of my favorite reviews, and I say favorite in the sense that it stood out and something about it particularly stood out. So the Don Juan yeah. review. There's one thing that really irked me throughout that piece as this plastic surgeon was writing. I wonder if you picked up on the same thing. There's uh, like, I, I, don't, I hesitate to call it a literary device because it's not a literary device. It's like a literary tick that he had. Did you, did you, do you know what I'm talking about? Was it like, I do, I did. I did. Yes, yes I, I did. did. I fucking hated it. Like, who is this yeah. man? Who talks like this? Right? Nobody talks who like this. Who thinks that that's a good way to, to write? So examples, I wrote some of them down. I did take directions well. I did have my left hand on her breast. I did prop myself up. I did say to her. I did tell her I was close to coming. Uh. I did puke when I read your fucking story. <laughs> like, Do you know how many guys responded to his review on the escort review board and was like, wow, that was what amazing. Thank you so much. Like, Well, it was very flowery, right? Like, yeah. It was a very like flowery, romantic description of the encounter, but... Poor writing just, you know, kills it. Like you can try to be poetic, and like he he described all these things. The breast part was really horrible. Let me, one second. Do you mind? No. Okay. So there's the breast part. The whole thing is just written really badly. I'm gonna see if I can find it here. You know. 
and I will. Maybe you should read it. <laughs> it is your work. Oh, here it is. This whole part. What is it? Do you want me to read it or should you? You can read it. I should read it? Okay. Initially, she had both of her hands on my head. Then she moved her left hand to her left breast. When she was squeezing her left breast and pulling at its nipple, not, not her nipple, I did have my left hand massaging her right breast. But as I looked up, she was doing a much better job than I was. So I removed my hand and directed her right hand to her right breast. Then she really went at it, squeezing both of her breasts, massaging each of her nipples and gyrating her pelvis. I picture like a fucking twister game here like simon says left breast right hand it's just it's such a clusterfuck in my brain i couldn't picture the scene because he's he's too specific about these like annoying little details the guy needs and, an editor yeah yeah that was fucking terrible oh, he was <laughs> right not a hand, good writer left breast <laughs> pinching at its nipple its nipple i did have a headache after reading your piece here <laughs> sir don juan Oh man! Oh, boy. Yeah, what a character that guy was. But I love your responses. So for each one of these re reviews, Andrea responds in turn with very snarky, sarcastic, and beautiful wit to get back at her accusers. Yeah, I mean they write reviews of me, yeah. so I write corresponding reviews of them, and because I remember the appointments. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the discrepancies are hilarious. And they're great, and then you can see the difference between good and bad writing. Oh, thank you. Damn. <laughs> so, uh, what is your favorite story? Has anyone? Yeah, you must have something in there. That's your favorite. My favorite story. Oh my goodness. Um, I like Unshameable Love a lot. Um, Remind me a little bit because the, the title doesn't directly pick up on what it is. Unshameable Love is the story about me coming out to my mom. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That was a nice one. I like that story because it's, you know, it's one of those pivotal moments in my escort career when I did end up talking to her about what I was doing. Um... And it's also about how when I graduated university, a year into being an escort, she uh, basically, we go out to celebrate um, me graduating the University of Toronto uh, by going to Hemingway's um, in Yorkville. Mm -hmm. And I'm with my dad, her, my boyfriend, my brother. And as soon as we sit our asses down at the seats, uh, she says, okay, so when are you going to quit that job of yours? <laughs> now that you've graduated university, yeah. you, you certainly don't need to be a sex worker anymore. So I, I was very much put on the spot. Thankfully, everybody at the table knew. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, that'd be awkward. That would be very awkward. And then so I decided, okay, a year from now, by my next birthday. And she said, great, I'll get that in writing. And there's a copy of it in the book. Exactly. So I, I wrote a contract with my mom that night with a date when I would be quitting. And to me, like that, my relationship with my mom is very important. You know, when I recount the pivotal moments of my childhood and how they relate to my sexuality, my mom never once shamed me. I mean, maybe a little bit when like I had my first boyfriend over and she kind of knew what was going on and... There was like a slight amount of shame there, but it was never 
explicit. It was, and yeah, that was just like one time at the like grocery mm-hmm. store where I, I was I was buying pads and I asked for tampons and she said, well, like, uh, you don't buy tampons for virgins. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> she fucking, I was like, whoa, okay. Well, Where's ma'am. this shade coming from, mom? But it never like, it never yeah. was like, uh, you know, I'm sure lots of other women experience a lot deeper shame when it comes to sexuality and how they relate to their mothers. So I have been very blessed in that regard. And the fact that I could talk to my mom is, is a very big indication of how strong a relationship we have. And what I admire most about her is her ability to be transformed as well and allow herself to transform as a result of this because she loves her daughter and um, you know going through all the stages of grief that she did mm-hmm. um, in feeling like a terrible mother for what I, you know, ended up choosing to do. Um, but now feeling like she understands why I've done it and is very proud of the book and is proud of my accomplishments. Um, and is someone that I know I can pretty much talk to about anything. So yeah. And, and then when I think about like why it's partially why it's my favorite story is because when I was writing it, I was, <laughs> microdosing a little bit on acid Ooh. and i was writing it and i felt everything as i was writing it and i thought like this is so awesome this is like what i want as a writer i want to be able to feel everything as i'm writing because the reader then in turn feels everything and that's a story where i would want people to feel yeah empathy for my situation whether they have experience in the industry or not so Anyway, I have just like very fond memories of being in my room and writing that story That's and so feeling cute. very proud of myself. The, the story is very intimate. It definitely does stand out. And it's a very touching piece, right? Because it, it's probably the most intimate story because everything else relates to, you know, uh, sexual client experiences, this and that. But this one actually gets to that outside world. You know, you exist outside of sex work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also like Our Girl Violet. <laughs> a mm-hmm. lot and Argo Violet is the fairy tale I've included that was near the end I believe right yeah, yeah. with the pictures from Center Island yes <laughs> which there's stories about as well creepers jerking off to you trying to take the pictures that's right <laughs> yay <laughs> yeah nothing like uh, shooting nudes on a public island and uh, spying people jerking off while you do so hey it's a I free country that, yeah. do it it d- doesn't hurt me so I got that from Aaron Pym's podcast where he talked about it. Yeah. 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 But I love that story too. I mean, I love all the sex work um, memoirs as well, but um, Argo Violet has a very like soft, fond place in my heart because it's what I don't include in Precipice mm-hmm. is that I was actually telling that client Max. Um, so like, we'd had this like really amazing uh, time on my first night of working and then I bump into him in real life and then we decide to set up uh, like a writing session and um, I'm naive enough to think that he actually wants me to come over to write. He wants me to come over to have sex, but he's also like, I get there, he knows my real name, I'm not even dressed up in remotely an escort persona. and he starts interrogating me about my life and about, you know, you must have been abused. Like, what you're from a broken home. Like, what's what's the, mm-hmm. like, sordid childhood sexual secret that you're hiding? That's that's your true motivation here because no 
no woman in her right mind would choose mm. to do this and like all that fucked up shit that I have to confront on a pretty regular basis when it comes to people's stigma about this work and their own fucking engagement with it that's the fucked up part um, but it was in that session that I remembered this story that I'd come up with about a woman who is like a demigoddess in heaven who when she has an orgasm she can tell the future I had actually that was in the original draft of that story that I included it in um, but eventually I cut it out but it was that night with him that I remembered that story that allowed me to like actually write write the the story itself the first draft of that our girl violet story which I shared with uh, my creative writing class at U of T oh, nice. at the time and they were very shocked <laughs> They were like, the what is this? Except the first draft of Our Girl Violet was from the perspective of, like... <laughs> so Our Girl Violet is about brothel in heaven called Paradise, yeah. run by the father god, Papa Zooks. But in my... <laughs> Papa Zooks. Papa Zooks, <laughs> yeah. who is just, like, god, but he's, you know, a tyrant, and he's all-powerful, yeah. and he's uh, he fucks everyone and everything, and particularly likes fucking his daughters, and... Uh, likes going to earth and, and fucking earth women and then stealing the daughters and putting them yeah. to work in his brothel. Um, and then tries to get his son to, to follow in his footsteps exactly. and, and, and fuck the, the, the slave girls, yeah. if you will. Yeah, but the original had it where it was sort of told from the perspective of like Papa Zeus's sidekick who was cut from the, the one that got published. But <laughs> I have like a, as a writer... I have I have access to some pretty dark places in my own mind where I can like put myself in the position of almost anyone mm-hmm. including very like you know bad people who do bad things and so like there's a rape in the in the story and I like had the original character narrate his raping of Violet mm. and how much fun he was having raping her so the the one the class read was a lot more crazy than Than what ended up getting published but um (laughs) it's just fun to reflect on that that i (laughs) i it's very important that i remain a writer or else i become those things i I need an outlet for those to exercise your demons it's your catharsis yeah yeah. because there is somewhere inside me some guy some man inside me could rape people like i know that yeah i have that fucked up imagine how nobokov felt (laughs) <laughs> or Manfred Mann oh no <laughs> yeah yeah. artists are fucked artists are fucked but at least we use our art to channel our dark sides and yeah. then we become we can be good people yeah as it's, long a, good, as it's a good way to, to sublimate your uh, your evil gilb <laughs> <laughs> hopefully um, well geez we got to so many topics this is wonderful i feel like i i could talk to you forever and i would not get bored boing (laughs) intellectually erect so then uh i guess the the final thing i just want to know before we we cut off here is where are you now so we know where you've been we've heard your stories and hopefully some of you have read her stories and if you haven't do it if you can't find a physical copy of the book there are digital copies you can purchase at the moment. Purchase to support. At modernhor.com. Exactly. Um, so 
where where are you now? What are you doing now? Uh, how are you involved in the sex positive communities? Uh, that would be anything from uh, polyamory, kink, BDSM, sex work, activism, writing. Go. <laughs> well, so I'm I'm still involved in the sex industry. I took a break for a while, but now I'm currently um, dancing, and I have done that for a cumulative year. Um, so I've still got my foot in that um i'm working as a peer outreach worker with maggie's the toronto sex workers action project so that's that's where my activism energies go Mm -hmm. um and so we hand out harm reduction supplies to people who need them um and also organize various events i just did a, a workshop a creative writing workshop there um which i envisioned as um the sex workers journey which is mm-hmm. using um myth and the hero's journey and the heroine's journey um as models of uh for sex workers to integrate their stories and their experiences whether right. good or bad or both um but to put them into a context in which they um see the importance of it in their lives so been doing that um also if you want to uh to donate to Maggie's, you can. It's an NGO, so you can go to what is it, Maggie'sToronto.com or something. It might or, be Maggie's.org. If you look up, just yeah, Google, Ma- yeah, just, just Google, Google it. Shit. Who types in addresses anyway? Seriously, just Google it and you'll <laughs> find it, and you can uh, you can support sex workers who don't get that sort of governmental support. So you do that. Um, yeah, and then as far as like writing is concerned, I am working on my next book which I do hope to be a blend of um, some of my strip club memoir um, stories, but also I think what I want to do with the next one is make it more um, argumentative, more creative nonfiction, more connecting it with things that are happening right now. So using my stories as, as the backbone, but but using making the stories basically creative nonfiction essays mm-hmm. that um, point to larger issues um, that... Um, sexual sex positive people face essentially whether they're in the industry or they're not the types of ways we're marginalized and and the ways in which we have so much in common with everybody else um so doing that and then there's there's some other things going on in the background creatively that are constantly transforming so there's no point in me trying to pin down what those things are right now but there are things uh, being worked on and and uh, processed in that regard. Um, I'm in the current issue of Playboy, which is very exciting. Really? Yeah. Um, That's fucking awesome. It's the 65th anniversary wow. issue, so it's a three month um, issue. It came out in January, so it's current until the end of March. So awesome. I can say the current issue for a long time. Right. Um, so I'm in that with. Uh, five other female writers. Um, oh, that's amazing. So we, we pose nude and we wrote essays to accompany our nude photos about the ethics of um, posing nude while feminist in the Me Too era. Right, right, right. So that's very exciting. Um, and yeah, so I'm just I'm just pushing along. A busy, yeah, I'm busy. You are a busy fucking human <laughs> all over the place. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to get you on the show. Took a little bit. I know it took. I'm a little <laughs> slippery. A little, little you are a little slippery, <laughs> little slippery snake. But we, uh, we got you. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful. This has been wonderful talking to you about all these things. I anticipate that there's going to be so much more 
with you in the future. So for anybody that wants to, you know, get involved, get to know you more, uh, don't be creepers, hopefully, but do, you know, follow. You can plug in all of your social media, whatever you want to plug in. Please go ahead so people know where to find you. All right. So on Instagram, I'm at wienerwoman. That's W-E-E-N-E-R, woman. Um, On Twitter, I'm at Andrea Wareheim. So you can just look me up. Um, Yeah. And then the Modern Horror website. Yeah. And then check out modernhorror.com to buy an ebook. It's currently the physical copies are now sold out which is very exciting we raised twenty one thousand dollars in 2017 to print a thousand copies and now they are gone so that's another thing that's cooking in the background is uh future plans for the book and um i do highly recommend the 15 dollars ebook it is worth every penny right so you heard it go out get it check it out and oh, look at me <laughs> fucking things up at the end of the interview well that's all folks thank you andrea you've thank been you. wonderful all right you're listening to intellectual erection a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking